0: Welcome to the Buker and Friends podcast. Here is your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buker. Rick Buker. Welcome to another episode of Buker Friendless, subsidiary of Buker and Friends, part of the United Wecast Network. I'm Rick Buker. You can see me on FS1. You can read me on Bleacher Report, and you can follow me on Twitter at Rick Bucher. R-I-C-B-U-C-H-E. All right. I hope all of you are enjoying this NBA free agency. This is a special edition of the show for the eve of free agency. And so I hope you're enjoying it. As someone who covers it, I can tell you, honestly, I have mixed feelings. Uh, As someone who sort of, kind of is involved in figuring out who is going to do what or go where, again, it's fun to be part of the game. I say kind of, sort of, because unlike Woj or Shams, no one is paying me to break any stories. In talking over various stories with my editors at Bleacher Report, I'll tell them what I'm hearing in my conversations with various GMs, scouts, player, agents, and yes, friends or business associates of the players deciding whose nine-figure contract offer they're going to be kind enough to accept. But I'm not under no obligation to actually break first who's going to do what, where. We try to write stories, or I try to write stories for Bleacher Report that, uh, that talk about why people might make the decisions that they do. And uh, so as a result, I am talking to a variety of people and gathering information, but taking a slightly different tack. And then obviously being on FS1, we talk a lot about these topics, and I want to be informed, and if I can add something new to the conversation, then certainly I'm going to do that. But this year, because of the magnitude of the players who are on the market and the potential ramifications and just the general drama surrounding them, uh, Bleacher Report has asked me to compose all the bits and pieces of what I'm hearing into a couple of columns of late. And I've had easier assignments, mainly because I don't want those columns to read like a glorified notes column. And at the same time, I don't want to leave anything out that might provide an indication of what is going to happen. And as I say this, I just realized I did leave an interesting nugget, as we say in the business, out of my last piece. has to do with the Nets, point guard D'Angelo Russell, and the Phoenix Suns. Now, I've known for quite some time that Devin Booker is tight with D'Angelo and would love to see him in a a Suns uniform. Considering the Phoenix needs a point guard, Booker is their franchise player, at least by default, Keeping him happy, happy makes sense, and the Nets and Kyrie Irving have mutual interests, so it seems logical that the Suns could give Russell, who is a restricted free agent, an offer sheet that Brooklyn would pass on matching, thereby the Nets keeping their powder dry for bigger fish, if you'll allow me to mix two well-worn metaphors. But then I had a conversation with a scout who has worked with Monty Williams, the Suns' new head coach. And Monty apparently doesn't have a very high opinion of D'Angelo. And while James Jones is the GM of the Suns, Monty apparently has a lot of pull. The scout also helped me understand, in conjunction with all this, why the Suns drafted Cam Johnson as high as they did. And that's because Monty is a stickler for having a roster of high-character guys. His bar is frustratingly high for anyone employed to identify talent because it eliminates a lot of guys who can play. And my guess is that the list of guys clearing that bar wasn't that long. So rather than move down and potentially risk losing Cam, and thereby the guy that Monty really accepted as a a lottery pick, uh, Jones and Monty decided to grab him while they could. So... I also imagine Jones' lack of experience as a GM made it a challenge to determine exactly how far he could move down uh, and still get Johnson and what would be reasonable compensation for making that move down. So uh, that is like a postdoctorate. That's like postdoctorate work for a GM. It's much easier, simpler, and safer to just use the pick you have on the guy you like and deal with the critics questioning why you didn't move down or take someone with greater potential. What makes this little side story interesting is the potential rub it creates between Monty and his best player, Booker, right from the start. Now, I'm not a big D'Angelo fan. There's still a lot of immaturity in this game, and for all of his ice-in-the-veins willingness to shoot with the game on the line, which I do respect... I believe a lot of elements beyond his control had to break just right for him to be an all-star this year. In my book, both Karis LeVert and Spencer Dinwiddie, they don't get hurt. Uh, They're, they're going to the all-star game. One of those two. And the Nets had to be one of the feel good stories of the year. So with all that in mind, I'm not sure D'Lo will be an all-star again. He might be, but if he wasn't, I wouldn't be surprised. And, I'm all for guys living down a bad start. I'm happy for him. I'm glad that he, he was able to prove that he's more than a bust. Uh, and I do believe guys can grow up and evolve, and I'm happy that he shed the bust label. But I'd be more in his corner if he hadn't so clearly bought into the hype about himself that was simply undeserved. Bottom line, I'm not going to kill the Suns or any other team for not hitching their wagon to D'Lo, especially for anything near a max contract. And I am certain that Sean Marks of the Nets knows and believes everything that I do. Appreciates what D'Lo did. I'm going to stop calling him D'Lo. I sound, yeah. D'Angelo. D'Angelo, I'm sure sure Sean Marks has taken the measure of D'Angelo. Appreciates what he did for him this year knows that he's good, not certain that he's great, and will be careful in paying him as if he's a great, on-the-cusp, perennial all-star. All that said, I also believe in chemistry and giving a team's best player or players a voice in how the team is constructed, especially a shooting guard who has been forced to play without a decent point guard for as long as Booker has. And while I get Monty being committed to changing the Suns' culture, which it has been largely non-existent, badly needs to be changed, this immediately puts the puts Monty on the clock with Devin. I mean, it's all well and good to say D'Angelo doesn't measure up, but Monty better deliver someone who does, and it better be soon. Otherwise, Suns continues to struggle, Booker continues to be an all-star caliber talent without a chance in hell of being an all-star, his willingness to stay on board with Monty is going to be tested. <laughs> so that's that's enough about the Suns, who are not a meaningful player in free agency. I've probably spent too much time on them as is at this juncture because uh, they aren't affecting the NBA power structure anytime soon. I do want to address something that has long fascinated me, could impact that power structure, and uh, not only has it fascinated me, but puzzled me as well and that's the allure of the new york knicks and madison square garden every time a major talent hits the free agent market the possibility of him going to the knicks makes the headlines for the average fan across the country it's a bit of a head scratcher seeing as the franchise has not been a title contender in nearly 30 years has not won an actual title in nearly 50 years and for far too many years has been better known for embarrassing incidents off the court, thanks to its owner, Jim, Jim Dolan, than anything else. Now, as an aside, I just found this funny. Uh, I, I'm in the car with my daughter just the other day, and amazingly enough, a song called Anything But Love comes on. And the DJ introduces it, says, this is by a band called JD and the Straight Shot. And I went, you're kidding. And so I, I said, hey, this is the owner of the Knicks. My, my daughter doesn't know who Jim Dolan is. She's a basketball player. She's a basketball fan. She's not a devout enough to know who Jim Dolan is. So didn't really register. Uh, and I'd looked up a couple of his songs just out of curiosity, but I'd, I'd never heard one on the radio. I know he's, he's quite proud of his, uh, his, his band and his musical talents. Um, I don't know. I have to say, when it came to this song on the radio, I was impressed with the arrangement and the instrumentals, but boy, Dolan's voice is an acquired taste. If you knew nothing about him, which my daughter didn't, you would, I mean, you just say it's not good. And sure enough, my daughter, again, doesn't know Dolan's reputation, doesn't know anything about him, but does have a very selective taste in music, whether you think it's good or bad. She's very finicky. She goes, what is this music? Turn it off. (laughs) She's in the back seat. She goes, that, that is awful. And I could not disagree with her. And I'm not, look, I'm not taking a free shot at Jim. I'm just, this is an episode in my life that I thought that I'd share. And the fact of the matter is, it wasn't very good. But I digress. If you're like me, you've wondered about the allure of playing for the Knicks, Jim Dolan aside, and why someone like Kevin Durant would possibly be interested. Well, look, I know there's a magic about Madison Square Garden. I feel it every time I walk into the place. Well before the game starts. It's got that feeling. The old Boston Garden had it. Still has some of it, but but since the renovation, not quite the same. The Forum, first place I ever saw a... Not the first place, I take that back. Uh, First place I ever saw an NBA game that I was covering. And that was a magical place for me. The feel of that place. Old Chicago Stadium which I got a chance to see the 93 finals in, uh, had that mystique. But I wasn't there enough to really, really feel it. I'd been in, a, in Madison Square Garden enough time that, that it stands apart. So I get that part of it. Now calling it the Mecca is a little much considering how little meaningful basketball has been played there the last few decades. But the feeling I have, it's it's special. So uh and i wish i could pinpoint what that what gives it that feeling i mean it's certainly the lighting it has that stage lighting uh, staple center has the same thing uh the layout of the seats banners in the rafters i don't know but uh i don't know exactly what what the place conveys or what conveys the sense that this is a stage where special performers do special things but that's what you you expect and you often get now That, though, isn't what the average fan may be missing about the Knicks allure, I'm guessing, because they've heard enough about it, even if they haven't experienced it firsthand. Um, This is, and I've just gotten a glimpse of this recently, it's the fame and ridiculous revenue to be made by anyone starring with the Knicks. And I know it's talked about all the time, about the -the off-the-court business opportunities that are available. But I had it put to me in some pretty stark terms that are the kind that make you go whoa so uh remember when carmelo anthony was with the knicks and playing on awful knicks teams it was about the same time chris paul was starring with the clippers in la on a really good clippers team burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping and that extends to their outdoor collection their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com ACAST, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com ACAST. Winning 50-plus games and annual playoff appearances... And you know whose shoes and merchandise were kicking the other guy's ass? Mellow over Paul. Was not even close. Um, And here's one reason why. Uh, I'm told that the shoe business, the sneaker business, if you will, is a $3.5 billion industry worldwide. Worldwide. And that the New York market accounts for 1.3 1.3 billion of it. That's almost, it's more than one-third of all the shoe business globally is generated by New York. And you just imagine what you're going to get from your shoe company, company playing in New York with a shoe, which KD has, and it's already popular. I mean, it just gives you a taste of the business opportunities available to a star in the market, no matter how the team does and it's why Dolan for all of his missteps is still raking in money as owner of the franchise. It is truly one of those brands that cannot be dented. Now what also stunned me is learning that the Nets were last in in the league in attendance. That completely flew by me uh as I enjoyed the Nets, came my son's one of my son's favorite teams and their feel-good story and their playoff run and the hijinks of Jared Dudley and D'Angelo Russell taking a star turn and just the collective collection of personalities uh, that uh, were greater than the sum of their parts. I mean, but last in attendance, the feel-good Nets, the team that went to the playoffs, the team that plays in the shiny new Barkley Center, they couldn't even outdraw the 19-win Suns or the small market Memphis Grizzlies. And the 17-win Knicks, guess where they finished? Ninth. The worst record in the league. An owner who picks fights with fans and former beloved Knicks players alike, and they were still top 10 in attendance. Imagine if they were just a little competitive. That, hopefully, gives you just a little glimpse of why the Knicks always seem to be in the conversation even when they have no business being in it. And I know what you're probably thinking. Yeah, but how many free agents have actually come to New York? You're right. The last couple of years, not too many. The business aspect of it has not been an allure. But when you have a guy like KD who already has friends and connections in, in, inside the organization, and has aspirations to be bigger than just a basketball player. And I think in some ways, while it's never been said, he's competing with LeBron James in more ways than one. And now that LeBron is in LA, no better chance of outdoing LeBron than going to New York and taking the other major market, a market where you can actually do more damage revenue-wise. And, uh, and and win on that on that front. So, uh, and by the way, the LeBron handing the uh, his his number over to Anthony Davis. I hope we all realize it's a nice gesture. It's a great gesture. I am sure that it's sincere, but it also opens the door for LeBron to go back up the ranks and have the best-selling jersey. In the league, this happens every time. Every time a star changes uniforms, uh, his uh, his number and his uniform go back to the top. And if you don't think there's bragging rights and all sorts of uh, reasons that uh, players want the recognition of their jersey being the highest selling, then you don't know players. So that is a side benefit. I don't think I'm sure it wasn't the primary. It's a side benefit, and I'm sure that LeBron's aware of it. Uh, the last item I want to cover as far as all this concerned is the relationship between KD and the Warriors at this point. Now, in one of these columns I wrote uh, recently, a league executive told me that KD was, in quotations, pissed at the Warriors for their part in him coming back and rupturing his Achilles. Uh, it's always no, It's always hard to tell based on social media reaction exactly how many fans actually think this way. But the reaction by fans to that bit of news was either to call me a liar or suggest that KD has actually no one but himself to blame since he made the ultimate decision to play. Now, the first camp, the ones calling me a liar felt their accusation was actually justified when reporters asked Steve Kerr if he were aware that KD was unhappy about how the injury went down and Steve said that he was not aware of KD being unhappy that they'd gone through all these steps and whatnot. And so, well, look, let's, let's take care of the first one. Um, multiple people have told me that KD wasn't given a clear picture of what could possibly happen if he played. And that's what he's upset about. And Kerr himself seemed to back that up by saying he was told KD couldn't do any more damage than already had been done. And clearly that proved not to be true. Uh, so, The comeback has been well, but even his own doctors cleared him, so it's not the Warriors' fault. And this is known as moving the goalposts, because we've gone from refusing to believe KD actually is upset at the Warriors to suggesting there are other people he should be upset with as well. So, um, and look, there may be more that comes out on the others KD consulted uh, that I'm aware of, but I'm going to leave that alone for now. And as for KD playing nice or not calling the Warriors and let them know how upset he is. He wants the Supermax. I'm convinced he doesn't want to play with Golden State anymore, but he'd love to have the Supermax. He'd love to negotiate that. It does him no good to throw the Warriors under the bus or to spoil that relationship at this juncture. Play nice, might get what you want. You get out the door, and then mate, there, there might be some things said. Or not. But don't for, th- don't for a second think that there aren't some issues there. As for KD having final say on whether or not he plays, now that is a lie. The Warriors have the final say. They are the ones who can choose to put him on the active roster or not. Plenty of players have wanted to play in the past. Play Thompson is recently in these finals in... Game four, was it? Game three? They held him out? Because they could. And he wanted to play. Plenty of teams have said at various points, it's not worth the risk. And as I've I've said elsewhere, I have no doubt KD wanted to play. And what happens when we want something to happen? It's human nature to find people who will co-sign why it should. And perhaps ignore others who say it's a bad idea. We're going to know soon enough about all this, at least in part in the decision that he makes in terms of where he's playing next year. Now, as for why I have mixed feelings about free agency, well, it's a time of year where I have to scrutinize everything anyone says to me with a healthy dose of skepticism, especially if they're in positions of power. In my job, it's kind of second nature to do that anyway. When someone's telling me something, especially something sensitive or impactful, uh, you know, I've, I've got to wonder why is this person telling me this? What's their motive? What are they hoping to gain from telling me and possibly having me pass on the information to the world? How trusting I am depends on how long I've known the person and what kind of track record we have. I also get a lot of secondhand information this time of year which again requires a lot of weighing who I'm getting the information through what is their purpose for passing it along how well does it match up with my intrinsic knowledge of the people and powers involved and what I'm hearing from other secondhand sources It's a lot of puzzle work and interpreting signs reading tea leaves etc all for the sake of putting something down in black and white that conveys some sort of concrete picture of what's going on. All to have someone call me a liar for doing it. Yeah. Good times. All right. One last clarification on something I recently said on TV that has received a lot of attention. And that was a conversation I had with Kawhi Leonard about playing with LeBron. Now, that was for a piece I did for Bleacher Report at the beginning of the season. I walked with Kawhi from the locker room up to the stands where friends and family were waiting for him. And in that little walk, I squeezed in three or four questions for this piece. And one thing I asked was uh, about the idea of playing with LeBron versus playing against him. And Kawhi said he didn't have anything to prove. They'd beaten each other once in the finals. So it was just a matter of trying to beat him any time they played against each other. And by the way he said it, he hadn't even considered playing with him. Now, while I, and I referenced this conversation on FS1 Undisputed the other day, and it got a lot of play, as most anything on TV does. Um, But it was originally a conversation that I had for Bleacher Report. People were like, how how does Bucher know this and nobody else does? Well, I had a one-on-one conversation with him. But here's the thing. It was at the beginning of the year. Now, while I still have Kawhi staying in Toronto, there are two things that have changed since I did that story. One, Kawhi discovered how hard it is to win a championship as the lone superstar, and I'm told that that may have him thinking that teaming up with someone might be nice. And two, LeBron and the Lakers added Anthony Davis, which could set Kawhi up to continue to win even after LeBron rides off into the sunset. When it comes down to it, I still wonder if Kawhi is truly ready to take a backseat to LeBron and add to his legacy, but I could understand how or why he might now more than before. All right. That does it for this episode of Buker Friendless, subsidiary of Buker & Friends, part of the United Wecast Network. Uh, if you enjoy the show, please leave us a rating, or if you don't, please leave us a rating. And if you'd like us to... Uh, send you a prize or be eligible for said prize, Uh, send a screenshot of that review to at Buker friends and you will be eligible. Uh, Caden Schmidt can vouch for the fact that we do have prizes and we do give them out. And uh, Caden, if you're listening, we are hoping that you will uh, tweet out you wearing or enjoying the, uh, the prizes that we sent you. So, Uh, listen thank you Uh, if I'm if you're driving and I hope you take this conversation as me sitting in the seat next to you if you're at your desk me sitting sitting behind you bugging you uh, in your cubicle across the table whatever it might be uh, this is my opportunity to have conversations with you and sort of bridge the gap between what I'm writing on Bleacher Report what I'm saying on TV and giving you an opportunity to kind of connect all the dots and get a deeper understanding of what it is I'm saying and why I'm saying it and some of the stuff that led me to say what I've said or write. All right. So that does it. In the next podcast, it will be Will Blackman and myself, and free agency will be well underway. And we may know already where some guys are going. Uh, what meetings they, those that haven't made a decision yet are still going to have. And as always, we'll provide you as much insight here that you may not get anyplace else. So until then, as always, thanks for listening.